Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here, welcoming you back to the show. And as always, I hope wherever you are that you are safe and healthy and that everything is going well. And what a difference uh, a week makes. It's spring has finally, well, it's more than spring. It's been closer to summer here on the west coast of, uh, of uh, British Columbia in Canada for the past uh, couple of days. Looks like at least uh, we have a glorious weekend coming up uh, weather-wise while I hear they're forecasting or they've been actually experiencing some winter weather on the the east coast of the country, which is, uh, well, it's absolutely amazing, but uh, strange times uh, that we live in. So we got a, a fair amount of things uh, to talk about in uh, in terms of Formula One news that's uh, that has gone down in the past uh, couple of days. So let's just uh, jump uh, right into it. And uh, of course, the news in Formula One, as it is everywhere in this uh, day, and age. Some days it's good, some days it's not so good, but hey, it is a Formula One and well, it's a distraction, but it's a pleasant distraction. And uh, I think that's all what we need a little bit of um, at, uh, at this point in time, something a little bit from normal times, our normal lives. So let's uh, get to it. Anyways, like I said, it's some uh, news is good and bad and we'll get out again. We'll start off with the bad news. Anyways, uh, Formula One has revealed a very big drop in their 2020 income. And of course, uh, this uh, should come as no surprise. Uh, I mean, we'd already be several races into the season. I mean, uh, we're coming up already here on the uh, the 9th of May. And uh, that means that, uh, well, this would have been the Spanish Grand Prix would have been uh, next up. And uh, of course, that is one of the races that isn't going to go ahead uh, this year, obviously, or perhaps maybe later in the year, should things uh, get to, get back to, uh, to racing at some point. Anyways, income for January to March in uh, Formula plummeted from the 200 146 million dollars in the same quarter in 2019 to just 39 million dollars uh, and well obviously that uh, covered uh, the, the the period of losses uh, or sorry the loss of races that we saw uh, for Australia and Bahrain and it's going to get worse before it gets uh, any better so those events would have been uh, paid their their hosting fees in advance and uh, formula 1 has uh, been quite clear that they have not recognized the payments as uh, income and uh, it's done the same with their TV deals and a lot of their sponsorship um, uh, contracts So, again, not good news, but uh, Liberty Media said in a press release, quote, since there were no events held during the first quarter of 2020, primarily the F1 revenue consisted of only the elements of sponsorship contracts associated with non-race related rights that were recognized during the period and no race from promotion fees nor broadcasting fees were recognized. Similarly, other F1 revenue decreased to zero revenue recognized from the Paddock Club and other event-based activities and television production activities. We currently expect no races to take place in the second quarter of 2020. And of of course, uh, if you go and look at what we've been talking about, second quarter, of course, will take us right up until the end of June. And then uh, unbelievably, we'll already be into the uh, the second half of the year in just about six or seven weeks uh, time, if uh, you can believe it. I don't know. The, the days are weird right now. I mean, don't you think? I mean, some days they seem like they drag and they seem to be they have this odd, weird, repetitive nature. And uh, just, I, I mean, everyday reality is a bit strange right now. But at the same time, time is... Uh, I'm saying that word a little bit too much right now, but it really is flying along and uh, I I can't believe we're already already in the second week of May and uh, we'll soon be heading into summer. Anyways, uh, when you look at that, uh, saying that they're expecting no revenue from uh, races um, because there's going to be nothing taking place in the second quarter, that's very much in line with what the, we've been looking at over the past uh, week or two. And what we were talking about on the show last week is that uh, F1 is currently targeting the opening race of the year to take place at the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg, roughly about the, I think it was the 5th of July. So, uh, of course, uh, that's still almost uh, two months away and a lot can happen. In, in, in two months between uh, uh, now and then. But uh, 
you know, at least there is the potential that uh, that that could uh, still maybe go down. We'll we'll see what happens, of course. Anyways, uh, Ferrari said that they're really hopeful that uh, the 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 losses that Formula One is experiencing right now because of the the, the turmoil caused by the global shutdown um, as a result of the coronavirus, they hope that uh, it's going to be short lived through 2020. And obviously, they're bracing for a, a big reduction in prize money and sponsorship uh, income. I mean, everybody's tightened their belts, obviously. That uh, that that goes for all of us uh, here at home, whether we're working or we're not working. I mean, companies, corporations everybody's doing the same. I mean, fortunately, uh, a lot of governments uh, around the world are thankfully uh, putting out some sort of benefit for, for the people that uh, and, and companies that have no revenue right now. But obviously, that's going to trickle over into um, uh, Formula One. And uh, of course, all the 10 F1 teams are really, uh, you know, bracing for a big fall in the revenue from the racing uh, that's not going to take place this year because of the ongoing uh, fallout from the uh, the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Anyways, uh, for ICO, Lewis Camilleri told investors that uh, F1 is uh, only one activity that would uh, f- affect the uh, company's financial re- uh, results in the harshest manner this year, as well as by, by being the, the far hardest to predict. And of course, uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, that uh, Formula One, I mean, it's all got to do with the you know, the the racing, the television, and, and and everything that goes around the racing events itself. And uh, until we get some idea that when racing is going to come back and what form that's going to take, we, we really have uh, no idea. Anyways, uh, Camilleri had to say, "quote Well, the Formula One hit to, to revenues and earnings is not an easy matter to digest. The good news is that the significant losses incurred should be short lived and contained to 2020. Our current thinking of terms of revenues, although it's somewhat unpredictable." In 2021, they should come back, certainly in terms of the races, which is a big part of it, and obviously also in terms of sponsoring. We know that the Formula One group has worked a lot in terms of trying to attract new sponsors. Obviously, the situation has delayed certain things, but hopefully by 2021, that will have come back. At this stage, we don't really foresee continued reduction in the commercial rights holder revenues in terms of Formula One for next year, all things being equal. And quote. Anyways, uh, Camilleri also went on to say that uh, he was or he was really quite uh, uh, praising Formula One for what he called the uh, the substantial pro- uh, progress that the teams have made to cut uh, costs uh, in the sport uh, going ahead, uh, but said that there's going to be no possible to you know completely offset the big uh, financial hit that they're all going to take in in 2020. So yeah, I mean, well, the the, the budget cap is uh, the one big thing that uh, they've been talking about. Uh, but Camilleri did uh, go on to say, "quote Although if we reduce costs in Formula One, there is no way we can offset the hit to the revenues on the sponsorship fees, especially on the revenues that are generated by the commercial rights holder." The hit to the revenue essentially goes down to the bottom line with some minor offsets, but it's a big hit. And as I said, the good news is that it's confined to this year, hopefully, end quote. Yeah, and hopefully being the, uh, well, that is the, the, the key word in that uh, whole sta- statement by, uh, by Camilleri, the Ferrari CEO. Anyways, uh, Claire Williams, team principal at, uh, at Williams, uh, says that she fears that uh, Formula 1 could lose, quote, or what she says, quote, an awful lot of teams, end quote, if uh, they are unable to race at all this year as plans still, well, the plans to get the the, the season going, they they change by the day, as uh, you, you might well expect. I mean, with uh, everything, uh, I mean, we're all targeting some sort of new reality once uh, we get past this whole coronavirus pandemic and there's uh, treatments in place in some effective way uh, to, to, to contain this thing. But, I mean, nobody knows where that is. I mean, it's not some hard line in the sand. It's it's not going to be some light that's or a switch that's going to get flicked and we're going to get uh, the green light all of a sudden. So it is a moving target and, and it changes day by day. Some days it seems it's closer. Some days it feels uh, like it's uh, further away. I mean, the, the, the one thing I think we all knows that things aren't going to completely going to go back to normal for a very, very long time. Anyway, so the, the latest thing is that, uh, and, and this really hasn't changed much uh, since last week, the, 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 the whole idea, like I just mentioned, is to get the, um, the, the season going in the beginning of uh, July at Austria, and they're still hopeful to get a 15 to 18 race schedule in at some point in this year. I mean, there's still talk that uh, that it might uh, run over into 2021. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things. And until 
we, we can actually have a firm date in mind and we know how it's going to happen. And well, we all know that uh, regardless if they go back uh, racing, that uh, that is going to be behind closed doors. I mean, we're not going to see tens of thousands of fans uh, sitting in the in the stands at the Red Bull Ring or anywhere else, uh, for that matter, at any time soon. Uh, I, I mean, it really is kind of a question. Okay, well, this this is how it was done this time. I mean, it's going to be an evolving process, uh, like everything else. It's it's going to evolve over each and every weekend. And as things uh, improve, or maybe, and, and hopefully not, uh, maybe go backwards if there's a second wave of coronavirus uh, later in the year, and let's hope and pray that uh, that won't be the case. So, I mean, it, it really is a situation that uh, will be rather fluid and uh, will evolve uh, as, uh, as the situation uh, dictates. Anyways, Williams, who was uh, talking in an interview on Sky Sports earlier this uh, week, had to say, quote, It is scary we could lose not just one or two teams, but an awful lot of teams if we don't get back racing. The financial model that we have in our sports means that we are all so reliant upon the money that we receive from the results that we get in the Constructors' Championship. You take that away and couple with the fact that sponsorship isn't at the level at, uh, in Formula One at the moment and in sports in general, that makes trying to find a budget to go racing really incredibly difficult. End quote. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that that is the big thing, right? I mean, um, just in general, I mean, uh, there hasn't been as much uh, sponsorship uh, around uh, recently. And Williams, I mean, th- this is a team that um, they're not getting a lot of money from the the, the points that they're scoring in the Constructors' uh, Championship. I mean, last year they had, what, one point uh, that uh, Kubica scored? I think it was uh, at that bizarre race at Hockenheim in the middle of summer, which, you know, was still one of the best races of the year just because of the unpredictable nature, or nature of the whole thing, just because of the the, the heavy rain and um, that nobody could keep their cars on the track. It was uh, absolutely uh, wonderful. But anyways, um, I mean, uh, she does make a good point that if, uh, you know, teams are uh, looking to supplement the budgets that they have, that at least they know that the, the, the money that they can count on in terms of, uh, you know, revenue from the, the how they perform in the world... Uh, and the constructors is one thing, whereas the, the sponsorship and getting the, the you know companies and corporations to uh, to put their money into a Formula One team in one form or another is going to be always uh, more of a difficult uh, thing to do. But I mean that that is. Uh there's a lot to unpack in that statement. I mean, the, the way that uh, she says, and she's obviously talking uh, worst case uh, scenario, saying that it's not going to be just one or two teams that uh, could disappear if there's no racing at all this uh, this year. She's really putting out worst case scenario that it could be uh, an awful lot more if uh, if uh, if things don't get going. Uh, <laughs> I really don't know what to to make of that. Obviously, this is something that uh, that it isn't really news. I mean, we've been uh, talking about it, uh, you know, bringing it up from time to time over the past uh, several weeks, and uh, even Christian Silk from Formula Money talked about it. Uh, Gosh, a million years ago when he was on last month, or at least uh, that's the way that it seems, that um, that the, the longer that this thing goes on and the less uh, money that's uh, coming in because of uh, the lack of races, it could really put um, several of these teams in, in really, really uh, dire straits. So a, a bit of a uh, dire prediction from uh, Williams. Anyways, uh, moving along, uh, Chase Carey says that uh, Formula One will not be handing out candy, in his own words, uh, when it comes to to dealing with the teams and its uh, other uh, partners. So Formula One is obviously in a very tough position because of uh, being under some pressure to help uh, with some financial support to to the Formula One teams to help get them through the the coronavirus um, pandemic situation and uh, the other other unintended, uh, but obviously logical um, uh, consequences which uh, involve all the uh, the other things uh, that uh, have been shut down in life and formula one being one of them but anyways uh, he says that uh, that, uh, that that you know they've been put under pressure to do you know to help the teams but at the same time they're also struggling to to try and generate some uh, income and some revenue over the season anyways a lot of race promoters are not expecting to have to pay their full fees for hosting races because there's going to be no fans in the stands and uh, a lot of the tv broadcasters and sponsors want to be able to renegotiate negotiate if they don't uh, get what they obviously signed up uh, to either broadcast or sponsor and you can understand that right so i mean and of course if uh, revenue and uh, income is a big thing uh, yeah where's the money coming uh, coming from that's going to be a big thing for all the teams of course it's going to be a big thing uh, for formula one as well 
Anyways, um, Chase Carey said uh, earlier this week, uh, whether it was going to be the team's promoter sponsors or whatever, he said, uh, and you know, handing out candy, that's a, <laughs> kind of a, a blunt way to, to, to put it. He said uh, that they're not going to be handing out uh, candy to, to everyone. He said um, uh, they expect to be uh, treated uh, fairly, and he says uh, that they're going to deal with the situation as as adults. So there's uh, basically his exact words. And uh, he said that uh, the, the expectation is, and I think this is more of a hope when uh, when it comes down to it is that uh, 2021 next year it, that things are going to go back and uh, business is going to be like what we all knew it uh, to be just a, a couple of months ago so you know that that is uh, obviously the like I was just saying just now that is the big thing we don't really know when things are going to get back to normal and of course that's going to be the, uh, the the one thing is like once uh, the sooner it gets back to normal a lot of these uh, questions are going to get uh, removed and answered and, and sorted out but until then of course uh, different people are going to be looking uh, for for breaks and you can understand especially the smaller F1 teams but <clears throat> Excuse me. Regardless if it's the bigger teams or the smaller teams, everybody's taking a hit right now. And uh, just just because you have a bigger uh, uh, budget and more people doesn't mean that uh, you're hurting any less or more than, uh, say, one of the other teams. Obviously, the smaller teams are going to feel it because they you know they have less uh, resources uh, to to deal with. But you know, I, I think that uh, probably a lot of it is going to be uh, proportional, unless you're Ferrari or Mercedes and you're backed by a, a company with uh, extremely deep uh, pockets. Uh, anyways, Kerry uh, yeah, did. Go go on to say that uh, it was very difficult at the moment to really sort out and complete arrangements uh, just because the whole uh, situation regarding what the calendar is going to look like the, this year if and when it ev- eventually gets going is just really fluid right so anyways uh, he had to say quote I think in terms of the teams 2020 for us and the teams we're not going to have the results we expected to have when we started the year and I think everybody is doing what they can to shore up right now there are too many moving parts there are so many what ifs I don't think that it's constructive to address parts of it. I think we need to get far enough along in these plans to know where we're at. We expect the teams to be taking the right initiatives to get them through it. Uh, the prize fund is a contractual formula, so the prize fund is what it is. Realistically, we couldn't unilaterally change it if we choose. To expand upon that, it's a percentage of profits, and profits will be down, and the prize fund would be down." End quote. So there you go. That's uh, basically uh, all laid out there in a very brief uh, summation by uh, Chase Carey. Anytime, anyways, time for a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast. As always, up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. So, yeah, we're we're going to go back now and, and talk a little bit more about uh, what uh, things may or may not look like uh, this year. Just uh, considering that the the whole calendar is uh, up in. Uh, up in the air at the moment. I mean, uh, the the Austrian Grand Prix still on the calendar. It is still 55 days out, 2nd of July to the 5th of July, should it go ahead. And uh, anyway, so there are extra venues that are in contention uh, to be added to, to the, uh, the the schedule this year that were not originally uh, set to have a race this year. And um, well, I mean, that's uh, again comes from the, the mouth from the big man himself, uh, Chase Carey. He's also been, um, you know, quite uh, open now saying that the uh, the schedule could well run into 2021 
in uh, an attempt to, to get the season done and uh, and get the 15 to 18 races, which uh, they're, they're really hoping to get. I mean, if they could do it, I mean, it would be absolutely, I think it would be nothing short of miraculous. I mean, we we're going to have 22 races uh, this season, should it have all uh, gone off uh, without a hitch, which obviously is going to, was going to be the, the, the biggest and longest, most challenging uh, year ever in Formula One. So, I mean, if they can even salvage 15 races out of that, I mean, that would be, I think, obviously, best case scenario. If they can get anywhere between 15 to 18 or even get the maximum 18, I think that would be absolutely wonderful. But again, of course, that uh, really is is very dependent on the the, the what ifs and uh, what, what's happening everywhere else around uh, the, the world. Anyways, uh, he didn't uh, carry that is, didn't go into any details, but uh, Emila Hockenheim and Portimalve all indicated that uh, they are interested in having a, a behind-closed-door uh, events. Emila and Hockenheim, those are ones that we've been uh, talking about uh, the, or they've been in the news the past uh, couple of weeks. Hockenheim, um, that's a kind of an interesting one. I mean, that's been a little bit uh, hit and miss uh, the past couple of years. I mean, uh, it was off the calendar a couple, you know, I mean, it was it was on last year, but I mean, it's, it's been missing in recent years. We weren't going to have a, a German Grand Grand Prix there this year, but uh, they they did uh, say. I mean, the uh, we had the uh, we were talking about last week on the show how the uh, you know the, the the director, the president of uh, the the track there, did say that they'd be open to uh, hosting a Grand Prix there this year behind uh, closed doors if uh, the the circumstances uh, would uh, permit it. However, that was um, it sounded like uh, to me that it was uh, more of a yeah that would be great if we could do it, but it was admitted that uh, it you know there was nothing more than. Uh, more than an expression of interest. I mean, nothing of real substance, uh, to at least of uh, what I've been able to find uh, through the news uh, over the past uh, couple of, uh, you know, several days, uh, you know, just doing a little bit of research there for the show. So, I mean, who knows? Anyways, uh, those are three um, venues that are potentially on there. And uh, Kerry said that, you know, they've basically been working around the clock since the Australian Grand Prix was uh, cancelled uh, almost two months ago now. And he says that, uh, and this is, uh, you know, right from, uh, you know, his mouth again, he said that they're actively engaged with the promoters uh, to put a, a 2020 race calendar to, together. And, well, they, they've obviously got uh, a couple of big uh, challenges. One is going to be which uh, racetracks, which uh, venues can, that they can uh, hold a race. And then obviously if you know where you're going to race, how are you going to get everybody there? Uh, you know, all the, uh, the, the team personnel and the equipment and, uh, you know, keep them, I guess, uh, isolated and all that. Because I mean, a lot of places, I mean, uh, here in BC where I live, uh, we're under like a, a, a 14 day, it's not a travel ban, but uh, if you come in from, especially internationally, you have to register, you have to go into quarantine for 14 days. I mean, there's checkups to, to make sure that, uh, that you stay in self-isolation. Uh, if you You've arrived back in Canada during that time, and that's uh, not unique here. I mean, it's pretty much uh, very similar all across the country. I mean, if you do not have a quarantine plan in place when you get home, you know, the government's going to take you off and put you in a, in a facility. I mean, you're not getting put in jail or anything like that, but they do have contingency plans uh, for people that uh, for one reason or a number or, or another are not able to uh, sufficiently uh, look after themselves. You know, they, you know, they, they might not have family support for, uh, for instance, or transport or something to, uh, you know, for, to, to get uh, groceries and things like that. So there are uh, different uh, places that, uh, that the government has set up where people can go and be quarantined and looked after and supported uh, during that but you know i mean it's logistics right when it comes down to to, to formula one okay so we end up having um uh, you know the the i don't know p- pick any grand prix you want say we we get the this um a german grand prix at hockenheim behind closed doors like they've been uh, talking about okay so you got to get all the teams from uh, wherever they're coming from uh, they're either going to be coming from uh you know from england you know italy in some cases you know so i mean there have been talk about uh, different uh, things, you know, having a reduced number of uh, personnel and things like that. But I mean, it's a, it's just logistical. How are you going to get people in? How are you going to get them out? Uh, how are you going to uh, get around uh, some of these things like a uh, 14-day, um, you know, uh, isolation requirements if it's, uh, you know, that's uh, a thing in uh, one of the places that they're going to be racing? I mean, we saw that uh, in in Australia after one of the uh, McLaren team personnel t- had tested positive for a coronavirus and had to stay there. And a lot of the team personnel stayed there as a, a support measure to stay there and uh, be there for their for their teammate anyways um, you know you can't take people in 
and, and keep them there for 14 days. I mean, especially if we're looking at uh, having a 15 uh, race uh, calendar, I mean, there's going to be some back-to-back weekends. I mean, it's just bound to be at uh, at some point. Um, and what are you going to do? Just move them around and uh, have them uh, self-isolate uh, or keep them all contained for 14 days, you know, like uh, several days either side of the event uh, before they move on to the next one? Who knows? So, I mean, <laughs> it's a, a tough, tough thing that they're going to have to uh, try and do. Anyways, uh, you know, uh, the one thing that uh, Carrie was saying is that, uh, you know, they are still looking to to get that uh, July 4th and 5th. That That, that is the date that they are really, uh, uh, you know, uh, putting out there right now. And he's saying that it's, and, and this is, I, I think, a key statement. And he says, quote, it's likely we'll, we'll race the weekend of July 11th and 12th in Austria as well. End quote. So that is a new one. That is uh, not something that uh, that I've previously heard uh, thrown out there in, in the past uh, week or so. I mean, that date of uh, July 5th and, and July 4th, 5th weekend, that is the hard date uh, that they're looking at uh, to getting the season going. But I think, you know, they, they have talked about uh, doing some other things. They was talking about having a, a night race there or something like that, they were, or a midweek uh, race. Uh, I think they were talking about like the, the, the Wednesday that was kind of thrown up uh, there and well i guess that's probably maybe 2 3 weeks ago now <clears throat> excuse me but uh, the, this new one uh, just uh, pushing it to, to the second uh, weekend it's not, it's not completely uh, a new thing it's just a, a slight uh, twist or slight variation on the plan that was there but uh, it, it sounds like it makes sense you know anyways um, Carrie had to go on and say quote we're in the advanced stages of putting together a schedule of additional European races through early September including races in the traditional August break we plan to raise in Eurasia Asia the Americas in September October November before finishing in the Gulf and Bahrain and Abu Dhabi in December we hope to have a calendar with 15 to 18 races we expect the early part of the calendar to be races without fans but hope to allow fans to attend in the latter part of the year end quote again that's really going to depend on uh, local circumstances i know here in uh, in bc where i live our provincial health officer has just uh, said that uh, large gatherings is uh, going to be it's not going to be happening uh, anytime soon uh, the, the the local uh, the provincial government uh, announced the um, you know the preliminary or the first steps uh, to getting back to, to normal which are going to come in uh, shortly in the next uh, week or two and it's going to be a, a gradual sort of thing but uh, you know having gatherings of uh, 50 100 500 000, people it's it's not going to happen uh and um, I, I chair a committee for my professional association and uh, we had our uh, AGM that was uh, going to be uh, taking place in downtown Vancouver in the middle of March that got scrubbed and canceled along with uh, so many other events uh, that uh, I, I mean it really things were were just getting canceled left right and center anyways uh, so that went to an online uh, a virtual sort of thing and uh, a lot of the, uh, the the seminars and whatnot are now been uh, made uh, available on video anyways point is that uh, you know we, we've started to plan for our uh, AGM and, uh, and our professional uh, development seminars for the, our next um, uh, big uh, get-together and AGM which is uh, is next uh, well it's going to be uh, next March or April so we're looking uh, you know 11 12 months uh, down the road and we're, we're at this uh, you know already at this uh, th- this point it's like what are we planning for are we we are we planning to have a, an actual in-person uh, meetup or is this going to be the, the same sort of thing because uh, you know like uh, we have uh, you know i mean until they lift the the, the numbers if, uh, you know, say at that point uh, we could have like 500 people, it would be a, a bit of a, mo- a moot point because that, that would be, I mean, that would still be a fairly well attended, uh, you know, AGM and, uh, and, and seminar sessions and stuff like that. But uh, if it's still only 50 or 100 people, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, what's the point of putting on a big event like that or preparing for it? when uh you know the it's just uh that doesn't really seem worth it so we, we we're at this sort of fork in the road of how to plan for things is it going to be in person as usual or is it are, are we planning for some sort of restrictions or are we planning that perhaps we may have to to do it all again uh, next year in a in an online environment so Again, I think uh, that that really depends on, you know, if uh, they want to have races with fans in attendance later in the year. I mean, obviously, that would be awesome. I mean, that's what we all want. That's what we all want to do is go back to the track and, and go back to our, our normal lives and, and, and do these things again. 
but it's really going to depend. Uh, I think I think where a lot of these uh, racers are going to be and how the situation is at that uh, date and time. It just uh, there. I don't see it happening uh, any other way. <laughs> it just uh, it just can't at this uh, point. Uh, you know, point in time. I mean, one thing is too, and this was a bit of a, a point aside, is the uh, Mexican Grand Prix, the uh, Autodromo Armanos Rodriguez, uh, where they've been racing for the past uh, several years, is actually being uh, transformed into a temporary field hospital for um, uh, coronavirus uh, patients. And uh, so anyways, you know, it's been going on. There's over 20,000 confirmed cases in Mexico uh, as of a couple of days ago. And so one of the things that we've seen everywhere is that um, that, that, that doesn't matter where you live. The, the, the big fear is that uh, this thing is going to come. It's going to hit so many people that, that so many people are going to get sick at one time. And so many people are going to need uh, treatment that, uh, you know, in a hospital setting that uh, it could overwhelm, uh, you know, like a healthcare facility facilities. So anyways, um, in, in Mexico City, what they've uh, done is that they've uh, actually transformed the paddock club uh, part of the uh, Autodromo Armanos Rodriguez uh, to a makeshift uh, hospital. And uh, I think that, um, I can't remember, I think it's a, a several, a couple hundred uh, beds. And uh, it, it's kind of, uh, uh, there was something, it's a different modules or something like that. Uh, I think that that has a couple of dozen beds each and a bunch of uh, intensive care uh, beds as well. So anyway, uh, you know, the, obviously, uh, we've seen a lot of different areas uh, re- and uh, facilities uh, repurposed uh, for things like that. I mean, they they did that here in Vancouver with the uh, the Vancouver Convention Center, and uh, basically they set up into a temporary uh, hospital facility with uh, several hundred uh, beds. But that was more for uh, patients that uh, that could be moved out of hospitals uh, safely that didn't need uh, you know really intense uh, you know, uh, care and support and things like that. Uh, whereas obviously people that had obviously more serious uh, medical uh, conditions uh, and or treatment for coronavirus would uh, go to the, uh, you know, stay in the proper hospitals. Anyways, I mean, it's just a, a sign of the times. Anyways, uh, so just uh, sticking with the the, the whole thing, the the, uh, you know, the the whole logistics of it, it's going to be, um, it's going to be very interesting to see how they do it. I mean, the one word that's being thrown around there a lot uh, this week is uh, the, the biosphere. Anyways, uh, Ross Braun, uh, who's the, the, the motorsport uh, director for F1, uh, and he's talked about this too, the, the, the biosphere in which uh, paddocks uh, personnel can work and be safe. And uh, so basically the plan is for uh, any of the the, the team pers- personnel and drivers uh, that would be there would be uh, uh, tested for coronavirus uh, before leaving their home country and then uh, tested every couple of days to make sure that uh, they're still healthy. Uh, anyways, uh, once they actually are cleared for travel, they'd have to travel on chartered flights, stay actually in hotels that are dedicated to F1 personnel only, and then um, go back home after having minimal amount of contact with uh, people that uh, live uh, locally. And of course, I think that's uh, why, uh, you know, the, the the Red Bull ring makes a lot of sense because uh, number one, it's a, a very remote uh, location as it is. I mean, it's, it's just one of my favorite uh, locations. I love, I've never been there, unfortunately not yet, but I mean, I've been to Austria many times in my life is a beautiful wonderful country and uh and i just uh, love uh you know watching the races there it's just uh, it's very very picturesque <clears throat> Excuse me. So, anyways, one of the things that uh, that help it is uh, a its remoteness, uh, the fact that it doesn't have uh, you know a, a big uh, population uh, nearby. There's a military airfield uh, not so far, far away, and there's uh, you know adequate uh, eating and, uh, and and dining facilities, kitchen facilities at the the circuit. There's a large dining hall there and uh, in the media center that uh, could uh, you know uh, uh, you know accommodate uh, most of the people that are working there. And uh, the you know the the paddock club, which is uh, usually reserved for for VIPs or you know people that have uh, a lot of money to spend on getting a paddock pass uh, for the weekend, but it is uh, you know I, I mean that's the way that uh, Formula One's going to have to operate. They're going to have to be as self-contained as possible, and they're going to have to be on on top of these things. But it it is interesting, you know, like uh, this is a bit of a, a different uh, approach than say uh, a week ago. I mean, Andreas Seidel, team principal at uh, McLaren, said that uh, that 
you know, he's all for this uh, sort of increased testing in Formula One, as long as Formula One is not uh, taking away resources, medical resources and tests uh, for for COVID-19 for for people, uh, you know, the general public uh, that, that might uh, need it. So how they uh, managed to pull that one off, that, that that's going to be, uh, you know, interesting. And uh, again, that's just uh, really going to depend uh, how that uh, unfolds over the next, uh, you know, weeks and months as they, they get these things uh, figured out. Anyways, time to take another break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in uh, just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. So sticking with the theme of the uh, the, the F1 biosphere, the bubble, whatever you want to call it, uh, should they get the, uh, the, the the season going? Um, anyway, so just to um, uh, just uh, I, I've got a statement here from uh, from Ross Braun that uh, was uh, I found in an interview that uh, he made to, to Sky Sports F1 this week. Anyways, uh, he had to uh, expand on it saying, quote, the FIA are doing a great job putting together the structure we need. Everybody will be tested and we have clear we will have clearance before they can go into the paddock. And then every two days they'll be tested whilst in the paddock. That will be an authorized authority and will we keep that system? Certainly for all European races, we'll be using the same facilities to conduct that testing. We can ensure that everybody is in tested and within that environment and tested regularly. End quote. So it sounds like obviously they're going to have a, a some sort of a very thorough uh, way to, 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 to test and track and make sure that everybody's uh, staying healthy and, uh, you know, keeping on top of it uh, should they get ahead. Um, anyways, uh, now let's uh, go ahead. Uh, oh, no, actually, one more. Zach Brown, the the CEO of uh, McLaren, always um, stop and listen when when Brown has uh, something to say. I, I think uh, you know I like the way that uh, that he does business. I like the way that he uh, you know he carries himself and uh, the the way that uh, I find him quite uh, forthcoming. I think that he's uh, he's got a good head on his shoulders, uh, and uh, and I like to hear what he has to say. Anyways, um, he had uh, you know he, he has some ideas uh, or some thoughts on uh, what's going to. And, to happen once the season gets going he says that uh, f1 is ready to start uh, but he, he believes that uh, that they're going to hit a glitch to, uh, to use uh, zach's uh, own words um so he goes on uh, he was talking about uh, how uh, and and this is uh, something we've mentioned on the show here too is that they technically well they don't technically they need a minimum of eight races to uh, have a season and uh, to have it qualify as a, as a world uh, championship. And uh, Brown is actually fairly optimistic uh, that uh, at the moment uh, that they'll actually get more than eight races in. Anyways, uh, so he, he's, st- he's, um, you know, he's echoing what, uh, what Chase Carey is, uh, is saying that uh, they're, they're looking at a schedule of uh, 16 to 18, uh, you know, somewhere in there that 15 to 18 is really that uh, sweet, st- uh, sweet spot. Um, anyways, uh, uh, he is not um, 100% uh, sold on that, uh, even though, uh, you know, uh, Kerry, as uh, Zach says, that uh, if he had to put his money on it, it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 14 to, to, to 15 races. And uh, I don't have any inside knowledge, uh, but <laughs> obviously, uh, but uh, yeah, if I had to put some uh, my, my own uh, money on it, 15 to 18 would be, you know, awesome, but it, it seems like a bit of a stretch just, uh, considering, uh, you know, the, all the uncertainty that's, uh, that, that's out there. Um, that seems like a real stretch in my mind, uh, to, to get that many races, uh, this year. So I think that, uh, you know, Zach, I, I think I'd be more uh, conservative on it. I, I think 14 to 15 races at uh, 10 tracks, that, that seems more realistic uh, to me for, for some reason, especially, you know, like, uh, you the idea to have uh, two races in Austria over uh, two weekends, that to me seems like a quite a, a sensible way to, to, to do it to get to, to get going. So who knows? Um, and uh, he did go on to say that um, that uh, that the idea is to have a couple of races in Austria, a couple of races in England at Silverstone, and uh, then you could see um, if there's no um, uh, problems or issues with the, the traveling part, he believes that uh, we might see some uh, what he calls doubling up at uh, other races races and other venues as well so uh anyways uh he says that he doesn't think that's the intention to uh, like run races at uh, at multiple uh, racetracks uh you know on multiple weekends to, to become the norm but uh again he, he's being a very i think down to earth i think he's being very realistic and conservative on the the whole issue and he had to say quote but i'm going to assume that we're going to hit a glitch somewhere along the way end quote there you go 
I, I think that's uh, the the only way that uh, you can look at it. That uh, it sounds like the season's going to get uh, going at some point this year, and uh, they're just going to be able to have to think on their feet when uh, when the glitch, as Zach puts it, uh, comes along. Anyways, uh, Zonfort, the Dutch Grand Prix was going to be on this year for the first time since what was it, 1984. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Anyways, uh, that was one of the races that was uh, unfortunately canceled as uh, as uh, as things everywhere got uh, canceled uh, earlier this uh, spring. And uh, Zanfort uh, said uh, that they will host the Dutch Grand Prix this year behind closed doors if and only if uh, Formula One covers the cost of the race. And that comes to the uh, sporting director of the track, uh, Jan Lammers. Uh, so yeah, it was supposed to be on the calendar. So it's 35 years. I got it in my notes here. So <laughs> it was going to be, uh, actually it was going to be last weekend. Uh, yeah, I've uh, lost all sense of uh, space and time here. So yeah, May 3rd, which is, uh, you know, would have been this uh, past uh, weekend, uh, last weekend, would have been the the, the first Dutch uh, Grand Prix since uh, the, the 1980s. Uh, anyway, so uh, Holland, like, um, a lot of European other uh, countries um, has uh, banned all major public events until September at the earliest. I mean, like I said here, uh, where I live, uh, <laughs> there's no uh, until September, it's until further notice. Um, anyways, uh, uh, Lammers has said that they would host the, the, the rain without uh, race without the fans if uh, Liberty Media steps up and uh, covers the operational cost uh, to make up uh, for all the the loss in uh, t- uh, ticket revenue. Anyways, uh, Lammers uh, said uh, the fact that we won't be earning anything from it and we would loss uh, invest a lot of time and energy into it. Is a way we would be helping the sport as well, uh, but it has to be a responsible thing for Circuit uh, Sanfort, especially from a financial point of view. To put it simply, it shouldn't cost us any money. So if FOM and Liberty want to hold a race at Sanfort without fans, they have to pay for all the operational costs, and that's quite a substantial amount of money. End quote. Yeah, well, that that's going to be interesting. I mean, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Chase Carey was saying that uh, they're, they're not going to be handing out candy. There's not going to be a lot of free handouts because obviously their money's down. But uh, again, it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, MLS said, uh, their sporting director said a couple of weeks ago that uh, that they would be, um, uh, I, I think he basically said that uh, they would be uh, willing to, to, to host a Grand Prix there and uh, not charge uh, Formula One uh, anything for it. So uh, whether or not uh, that means they expect uh, Formula One to pay for all the operational costs, I would assume so. Um, seems reasonable to me. Also, uh, I, I don't think what uh, Jan Lammers is saying is uh, a very unreasonable thing either. I mean, uh, it, uh, you, you can't spend money that you don't have. And if you start spending the mo- uh, money you don't have in the form of credit, you're going to be hurting. Anyway, so let's talk now about money. Why not? Hey, we've been talking about money in Formula One for the past uh, several weeks. So why should we change now? Anyways, Racing Point. Yeah, remember those guys? And I didn't call them Force India this week. Uh, you know, that seems to be my, my default uh, thing whenever it comes to uh, <laughs> talking about the uh, Racing Point. Anyways, they believe that the uh, the new cost cap uh, can be a, a performance uh, leveler. And that uh, is uh, what uh, team principal uh, Otmar Safnauer said. And uh, so the the... the, the the teams have already agreed in principle to move the cost cap limit from $175 million down to $150 million uh, as a result of the, the economic hit that they're all going to take because of the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. And, um, well, I mean, this is uh, no surprise. I mean, we've, uh, we've, we've talked about some of these stories over the past couple of weeks, but there, there's there, the teams, they, they can agree on $150 million, but then... You know the solidarity uh, disappears. Uh, it's not quite there when it uh, comes to lowering that uh, below 150 million. Uh, anyways, uh, Ferrari said uh, they are unwilling to go below 145 million, and uh, McLaren have gone drastically lower in that. They want it down to 100 million dollars. Anyways, um, Safnauer said, uh, "Quote: The only thing that we have to remember is that with the cost cap, you don't have to spend the money. You don't have to, even if the cost cap is 170 million." We at Force India, for example, in dollar terms, with all the exclusions, we used to spend at just over $100 million, say $110 million. But there are a lot of exclusions. So if you take out the exclusions, my guess, we're in the spending around $70 million. And that $70 million got us fourth in the Constructors' Championship and a few times in 2016 and 2017. 
If you're at 170 million, it doesn't mean you have to spend 170 million, but what it does mean for you to win, you've got to spend that $170 million. So the cost cap is also a leveler in terms of competitives, really, and the performance you can get out of it. We've got to be careful that we're not just saying cost cap for financial reasons. The cost cap also helps with closing up the field, end quote. And that is true, you know, uh, when he's going back and saying that uh, they spent uh, $70 million, uh, that got them fourth in the Constructors uh, Championship uh, twice in, uh, in recent years, in uh, 2016 and 2017. And, you know, I've said that for a long time, that uh, that Force India was a team, and I'm referring to Force India now, not uh, Racing Point, uh, but they were the team that uh, could do more with uh, with uh, with less. And uh, they, they started to lose that, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that effective way of uh, spending things right at the very end there a couple of years ago when, uh, you know, uh, Vijay Malia had to turn off the taps. I mean, he's obviously had his own uh, legal issues over the past uh, number of years. But uh, that's why it was uh, just, uh, you know, it, it was meant to happen when Lauren Stroll came in with uh, with his group uh, to buy out the team in uh, midway through 2018. And, and, and once they were able to inject some new uh, investment and money into that team, you saw an immediate uh, improvement. Last year, they, they, I mean, they were a bit of a disappointment, but uh, they, they showed from time to time that uh, that uh, that they have something. And that's why it's going to be interesting to watch this team. Uh, well, I mean, who knows about this year? This year is going to be a bit of a... I don't want to say a throwaway year, but it's going to be a weird year when it finally gets uh, gets started. But uh, you know, I, I think uh, certainly for myself, I'm looking to more towards 2021 when Racing Point uh, becomes uh, Aston Martin and uh, see how they you know see what they do then. But you know, uh, historically that has been a team that's uh, done less, and that that is interesting. You know, that uh, when, when he makes that uh, you know Safnauer that is uh, makes that uh, distinction that just because the cap's at 170 million or 175 million doesn't mean you have to spend that much. But if you want to win, you're going to have to spend that much. I mean, you can spend 70 million or 100 million and, uh, you know, just kind of show up. Although that sounds kind of kind of ridiculous if you're spending like a hundred million dollars on something and uh, you're not uh, you're not going to be uh, you know getting something out of it uh, you know I mean you you're going to get something out of it but you might not uh, be winning but I think that's a, a fairly astute observation by uh, Otmar Safnauer. Anyways, uh, sticking with uh, Racing Point, uh, you know they, they do believe that uh, they're going to have the uh, the, the lowest uh, budget in in Formula One, and uh, Safnauer. This is still a, a little bit more on the building on that. That, uh, interview that he uh, gave, he said uh, he's uh, you know referring to when uh, when Lawrence Stroll came in in uh, 2018. He said uh, obviously when Lawrence came in, uh, he gave them a, a bigger budget and it was uh, significantly uh, more money than they had uh, under the, uh, the the previous owner, and it, it was bigger. And I mean, he you know Safnauer does actually go on to to, to quantify it. It was 30 to 40 percent more than what uh, they had at the time, um, and you know that's what they're working with uh, nowadays. But he still he still believes that they have the lowest budget in for formula one and the 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 least amount of uh people uh in the in the pit lane and that that is true i mean like uh, like i said i mean they've always uh, punched above their their weight in terms of uh you know what they've been able to do but they've also been able to do it uh, not only with less money but also with uh with uh with less people so i mean this has always been a team that's been uh, fairly resourceful and again when it becomes um uh, aston martin next year for 2021 that's why i think it's going to be uh very interesting to see that uh well not only how are they going to perform on the track uh but also off the track uh, are we going to see more investment uh, in terms of uh you know resources uh, in in people and equipment and all those uh, sorts of things uh, one would expect so right i mean uh stroll has really put his money where his mouth is i mean he invested uh, to to save that team uh from going under i mean a lot of the cynics out there is like well he's just uh, you know rich guy buying a team so his uh, son can race in formula one and that's uh i hate that one <laughs> i i really do and I, i'm not just sticking up for Lance because he's a you know, fellow Canadian. I just uh, find that a, a bit of a I find it a bit of a weak uh, stance to take. Anyways, um, I mean, like like I say, Lawrence has uh, put his money where his mouth is. He's invested in uh, in the team, team Racing Point, but he's also invested uh, with his consortium massive massive amounts of money into Aston Martin itself. Uh, I. I always get the pounds and the dollars mixed up, but it, it doesn't matter. If you're talking about 500 uh, or 600 million uh, pounds or dollars, 
it is a hell of a lot of money. So Lawrence is uh, really putting a lot into it. And uh, Aston Martin, they're going to bring everything, uh, you know, a, a lot uh, into the racing program as well, uh, as well with, uh, you know, the, the Force India racing points, Aston Martin racing team, whatever you want to call it, F1 team that is. So it will be interesting to see how that uh, also comes out in terms uh, of people uh, in the in the racing operation itself. Anyways, uh, time for one final break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. Uh, we've got a bunch of stories to go over here before we wrap it up this uh, week. And, well, we got some more Racing Point stuff to talk about on the other side of the break. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to Scuderia F1. And boy, I mean, I said off the top of the show that uh, time seems to really fly and drag at the the moment. And that's oddly uh, the macrocosm of the microcosm that is this uh, podcast. It kind of drags along, but at the same time, it also uh, really uh, flies by. So there you go. Self-defeating humor there, or maybe not. Um, you know, maybe there's truth in in jest. Anyways, no egos led to the Mercedes-inspired pink Mercedes Racing Point, whatever you want to call it. And that's uh, from the mouth of uh, Racing Point Technical Director Andrew Green, who feels that uh, what he calls a lack of egos allowed his team to walk away from their uh, their ethos for their aerodynamica condo- uh, concepts and, uh, and and design and uh, adopt the uh, 2020 Formula One cars uh, design, which is uh, obviously a uh, Mercedes inspired approach. Because I mean the uh, the uh, the the W10, which was Mercedes cars uh, last year, is uh, pretty much well. I'm getting back to front here. The RP20, which is Racing Point's car for this year, is basically a carbon copy of last year's Mercedes uh, W10. So the um, so I mean basically the RP20's overall aerodynamic concept is uh, now the the low rake uh, concept uh, that uh, Mercedes has uh, been using for for quite a while. Um, so Racing Point had to drop the um, the basically what they gone with with the uh, Red Bull inspired high rake approach uh, that they've uh, been using for the past uh, several years. Anyways, um, Green feels that uh, that the, the approach that they took is um, not uh, something that uh, other teams uh, in, the, in the paddock would have done. And uh, he said in an interview, quote, there are no egos involved when we make these sorts of decisions. I think that's a big plus for us. And I think that's why a lot of the teams wouldn't be able to do what we did because there's too many egos involved. There's too much. Oh, no, no, that idea is not invented here syndrome we'll do it our way because we know better end quote so yeah i mean that's fine i mean uh, there, there's one thing uh that uh uh you know to, to kind of walk away from uh, one concept uh, that that isn't working and uh, and and trying to do something that's uh, completely different and obviously i mean a lot of teams are going to be looking at uh, mercedes because why wouldn't you? I mean, they've been absolutely dominant in Formula One for the past uh, good number of years, and uh, usually not by a small margin. I mean, uh, they have been in the best in Formula One in terms of chassis and engine and uh, drive. Well, drivers is another thing, but uh, <laughs> I mean, there's only one Lewis Hamilton, guys. Uh, let, let, let's be uh, fair about that. But um, anyways, I mean, when it comes to like going with the new aero concept, yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. And of course, we know that uh, Formula One's all, all about egos, and uh, you can understand that uh, that you wouldn't want to walk away from a design concept uh, just on a whim. But, you know, it is going to be interesting because um, there were talks, uh, you know, that there there might be some legal challenges about this car, the RP20 that is. And I mean, it's one thing to, you know, copy a design concept. And I mean, it does look fairly similar. Obviously it does. I mean, there's no disputing that, but I mean, just because they go with a similar design uh, concept uh, doesn't mean that they uh, completely, uh, you know, uh, copied them. I mean, they're, they're using a lot of uh, different things, but I mean, it'd be a different thing and I'm not making any accusations here. I mean, if there was uh, some sort of industrial conspiracy going on or espionage, whatever you want to call it, that's a different matter. But, you know, I mean, I, I think we're beyond that. Uh, I mean, that there was that scandal in Formula One more than a decade ago with, uh, was a McLaren and Ferrari? I can't, I can't remember the teams at, uh, at the time that were involved, but uh, you know, that, that is, uh, you know, always a possibility. I mean, Formula One is a small world and people go back and forth between teams, but, you know, they are uh, bound by uh, non-disclosure agreements and confidentiality, things like that. So you couldn't do and bring uh, design concepts over from uh, Mercedes and, uh, to, and, to, and to 
racing point without some uh, very serious uh, repercussions. But, you know, should there ever be a legal challenge to the design of the car? Um, well, who knows? Uh, I don't know if that would really fly or not, but uh, it, I think it would have to do... Yeah, I think the form that the that the challenge would take from the, you know whoever made the complaint against uh, Racing Point should that ever come to pass. So, anyways, I, I mean at least from Racing Point's uh, idea, I mean uh, or, or their point of view, it's it's interesting that uh, that they did decide to make such a drastic uh, change. And uh, you know the numbers, uh, the the times that they were posting in winter testing in Barcelona a million years ago back in February, and it really does feel like a million years ago now. Uh, they were actually quite uh, promising and quite good. So you know at least uh, from uh, you know a testing point of view they, they they saw some results with it whether or not uh, it would have led to 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 more uh you know like actually in the race itself that it would have uh, you know uh, manifested into better results on the track we won't know until the the season gets started if and when all right well uh, just sticking with the, the the budget cap so apparently the the discussion or sticking with it going back to it I should say so the discussions are at uh, at the very final uh, you know final stages and uh, Ross Braun says that the that the plans to lower the budget uh, budget cap uh, to uh, you know 170 or sorry 150 uh, million dollars are now close to being uh, finalized and uh, said that the, uh, the the big sticking point is how far that this uh, number can come down in uh, subsequent uh, seasons so yeah uh, so obviously like I was saying just now the the idea was uh, 175, and a recent discussion brought that down to 150, 145. Uh, so they're they're talking about uh, bringing it down to 130 for uh, the second year of uh, restrictions in in 2022. But, uh, you know, as I was saying earlier that, uh, you know, Ferrari is very reluctant and very resistant uh, to go uh, down to 130 uh, uh, million. Anyway, uh, Braun had to say, quote, I think the details will be going out to the teams in the next few days. There's been a lot of consultation. I think we're now at the very final stages, so it'll all be, uh, become clear shortly. The budget cap's initial objectives were more of a competitive field. And I think this with the situation we have now, the economic sustainability of F1 is a priority. I think that counts as much for the big teams as it does for the small teams and it's become very clear from the people who stand above some of the team principles and management of these teams the message is clear we've got to cut costs end quote so another thing that uh, they're looking at um, is uh, is customer cars and uh, this is uh, something that's been kind of thrown out there uh, you know there's all sorts of uh, drastic things anyways uh, Zach Brown over McLaren uh, believes that if uh, f- uh, some of the front running teams offer customer cars uh, to say some of the uh, you know midfield or the uh, you know the 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 cellar dwellers, uh, they should be done so for free. Uh, you know if they're really serious about making you know doing it and sort of being altruistic and as, you know as a cost saving measure. Um, so basically, what the idea would be is to uh, you know they're they're looking at all sorts of different ideas to cut costs uh, because of the, uh, the the big hit that they're all going to take because of coronavirus. Um, so a, a lot of the ideas that uh, obviously is that the the 2020 cars are going to be uh, carried over into 2021 to save on the development costs because the 2021 cars that uh, that were going to come in under the new rules that was going to be pretty tight uh, even if we didn't have uh, this uh, this whole uh, you know epidemic or pandemic uh, situation to deal with even in uh, normal circumstances it was going to be a real push anyways so they've they've put those on ice for a couple of years we're not going to see that uh, come in next year's uh, planned anyways so um, uh, Red Bull team principal Christian Horner said last week that uh, F1 uh, should and he did say could he said they should consider using customer cars to help the smaller teams so basically allowing the the, the smaller teams to use a year-old chassis from one of the front-running teams so he says it's uh, the fastest way to uh, achieve competitiveness and uh, you know in the, the cost-effective model and uh, so basically uh, he said to, to sell them whole car that they finish uh, <laughs> the race with in uh, Abu Dhabi so that is interesting because uh, you know despite the the, the, the fact that the the, the regs are uh, basically frozen uh, for for next year uh racing point technical uh, director andrew green says he does expect to see the, the cars used in uh, 2021 will look slightly different uh, despite um, the designs from this year being redeployed as a, a cost saving uh, measure for for next year so they're going to have a token uh, system again which uh, we've seen in the recent past as well um that so that that will allow development in in, uh, in limited areas and uh 
because I mean, the, the, there's ongoing negotiations over the, uh, you know, Formula One in the future and all these uh, different things. So uh, this, uh, he says, or Green expects that this will lead to a restricted amount of uh, visual upgrades. Um, anyways, he said uh, in an interview, quote, there's a big push to try and maintain much of the design up and down the pit lane going into 2021 to reduce the car costs. So I think we'll see a significant amount of carryover from all the teams. And I think some of it is going to be enforced by regulation and some of it is just going to be enforced by the timelines that we're working to now. With everyone sitting at home not working, you can't develop this car. There's no development happening. So you're naturally moving forward this year's car racing next year. End quote. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, there there probably will be. I, I mean, we didn't. Uh, I mean, we saw a little bit of change in the cars uh, for, for for this year, but uh, I, I think it is an interesting, interesting thing um, that uh, that that they that they want to do that. But I mean, uh, Zach Brown, I think uh, you know he, he makes a good point that if they're they're really serious about uh, trying to save money. Yeah, like why not? I mean, uh, just to hand over the car, or if if not free, which you know seems like a, a very big uh, you know expectation for, for for them to do that, you know, do so to drastically uh, reduce cost to uh, you know help everybody out. You know, the you know the, the the more that they circle the wagons and stick together now and help each other out, it can only mean good things uh, in the future. Anyways, this I found uh, interesting that uh, despite all the uncertainty out there right now, uh, the Panthera Team Asia Formula One squad is still looking to be on the grid in Formula One in 2022 when the new uh, regs come into force. Uh, so this is uh, an Asian-backed uh, operation with a UK base, and uh, they they, uh, they stated their intention at the end of last uh, summer to become a, a new F1 uh, team in 2022. Um, anyways, um, they, they were hoping to join the the world championship in 2021 uh but that's uh you know <laughs> that the that, that's changed and uh that was basically because uh, Ross Braun said last uh, August that uh, any uh, teams looking to come into the sport would have to wait until at least uh, 2022 uh, at the earliest so um the uh, team boss uh, at Pantera Team Asia is a fellow by the name of uh, Benjamin Durant and he said that uh, that the, the delay in the subsequent world health crisis has not put uh, their efforts to get into F1 to an end. And uh, he said, quote, it's been quite a roller coaster, but we are still alive. The project is not done. We were already aiming for 2022 before 2022. <laughs> aiming for 2022 before the current uh, uh, crisis hit and we are still looking for a way in end quote so that that is uh, that is interesting that uh, despite all the things that uh, that are ongoing uh, that they're still looking to get into the sport in 2022 of course the the concord agreement is uh, still undecided upon and uh, that is up at the end of the year so there are a lot of uh, moving targets in in f1 at uh, at the moment but it would be great to see another team uh, come in. Uh, I mean, uh, we, we've lost a couple in recent time, including uh, Marussia, uh, Manor, uh, Caterham. Some of these teams have kind of gone into to different uh, you know, different variations or just uh, disappeared altogether. I mean, uh, Lotus morphed into to Renault and they're still around, sort of. Uh, they're they're there, but uh, they haven't lived up to to some of our expectations. So good news uh, to see that uh, there's still interest out there to to bring other teams into uh, Formula One. Anyways, uh, just to, to finish it up with a, a couple of quick and short things here. Uh, so the Ferrari F1 test that Denny Kvyat had in uh, 2018 really played a crucial part in his uh, Formula One comeback at uh, Toro Rosso, which is now uh, Alpha Tauri. And uh, Kvyat, he kind of really went on a downward spiral after he'd uh, made it all the way up to Red Bull in 2016, then was uh, switched uh, for uh, Max Verstappen, who obviously has never looked back since uh, m- moving up. Anyways, uh, Kvyat was out of uh, Formula One uh, for a while. I mean, he was uh, still a simulator and a development driver at Ferrari. And uh, anyways, he was given another chance at Formula One uh, by uh, Helmut Marko, who is uh, the Red Bull Motorsport uh, advisor. Anyways, uh, in 2019, uh, Kvyat uh, partnered Alex Albon uh, and then uh, uh, Pierre Gasly when uh, Gasly kind of mirrored uh, <laughs> Kvyat, not in an envious kind of way, when he was uh, promoted in the, to Red Bull and then uh, demoted back to Toro Rosso uh, in favor of uh, Alex Albon. So anyways, uh, uh, Kvyat uh, did say that... Uh, 
because of his uh, part of his uh, 2018 simulator role with uh, Ferrari, he was uh, handed a Pirelli wet tire test in April of that year at uh, Fiorano, which is uh, Ferrari's test track. And uh, the, the test uh, was made with the, the Ferrari SF71H. And he said it made a really big impression on him and really strengthened his uh, his motivation and his resolve to chase a, a comeback into Formula One. And I think that, uh, that that's great because uh, when he was back in last year, we didn't see quite the reckless kind of crazy uh, Danny Kvyat. I mean, he got uh, a podium in Hockenheim. Obviously, the weather played a bit of a role in that. But uh, he looked to me a more mature, focused uh, driver last year in Toro Rosso. So that, uh, that's good for him. Uh, anyways, uh, Renault staff said that they worked in what they called an unthinkable scenario at uh, Red Bull. And, well... That's not really a surprise. I mean, by the time that, uh, you know, they finally parted ways a couple of years ago, I mean, they had a very successful run, obviously, in the uh, the, the normally aspirated era of uh, Formula One before the switch to the, you know, the turbo hybrid era. And then after a while, I mean, you know, I mean, there was a lot of complaining uh, more from Red Bull. It didn't really see too much in the public uh, realm uh, from Renault in those days. Uh, but uh, Horner was very critical of them basically right from the the, the very the first year i i remember stories going back to a I'm I'm thinking that 2014, uh, you know, even the first year where he was complaining that uh, that Renault had just not got it right, and their their uh, power units, new power units, uh, just uh, didn't have uh, the oomph that say Ferrari or uh, uh, Mercedes did uh, back then, and it steadily deteriorated over the years. By the time it, it was all said and done, they, they they to me it was just kind of like a, an old married couple that had uh, been together way too many years and way much longer than they, they should have, and obviously didn't get along and like each other but were almost like uh, they were staying together because they, they just couldn't get apart and they were just doing it for looks only obviously it was a little bit more complex uh, than that but it uh, it was a, a move that obviously uh, worked out uh, for Red Bull I mean I think that the, the move to Honda Power really raised a lot of eyeballs uh, or eyebrows I should say uh, when the announcement uh, was made but uh, having the opportunity to look at Renault Power and uh, and Honda Power in the in the Toro Rosso's uh, you know uh, that season really helped in that, that uh, decision. Anyways, uh, in uh, Fernando Alonso, he claims that his 2021 plans are more or less set. Fernando also has to pop up uh, every once in a while. So his uh, last Formula One uh, appearance was uh, at the end of uh, 2018. And he's uh, since then raced in uh, the World Endurance Championship, the Dakar Rally. And uh, was he's also due to uh, enter the, uh, the Indianapolis uh, 500 again. I mean, he's had a couple of cracks at it. Uh, he's still trying to, to win the Triple Crown. He's won at uh, Le Mans a couple times. Uh, you know, he's won at Monaco, double world champion in F1. Anyways, uh, he said uh, that uh, he's uh, understood the rule change uh, delay in Formula 1 until 2022. And uh, he said uh, he said all along, and this is true, he said that in 2021, if there are new rules in 2020, or sorry, at that point, he may come back because maybe it'll be more interesting. The cars are more balanced, and I guess, uh, more uh, fun to drive. And, uh, and he's hungry. He's looking for that challenge. And he said that uh, now that the rules have been uh, obviously delayed till 2022, he said it's bad news in a way. But uh, he said uh, he knows uh, basically more or less what he's uh, doing. And uh, he didn't really give uh, too many hints, but uh, he said many more of you will uh, know soon. I mean, that that's fine that he says he, he might want to come back at some uh, point in the future. I mean, he's already uh, around 40. So the, the, the big question for me is not whether or not Fernando wants to come back to Formula One, but who's going to take him if he decides to do so anyways that's it that's uh that's the time to leave it uh and wrap it up for for another show this week thank you very much for downloading and listening to the show if you want to get in touch please do so by sending me an email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or tweet me on twitter at uh, scuderiaf1pod and that's it have a great week stay safe stay healthy take care of each other and we'll talk to you again soon bye for now Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.